so um, that might be something uh, that you would need to know. And um, there will, I'm going to, I think we're going to have a class today. Just people should go around and say their names. Um, but I'm not going to try to figure out names till you see if this is uh, really what you want to be. And obviously, I know some of your names. Um, but obviously, I don't know others. So, um, but uh, this is a new class. I think it's going to be really interesting. Um, but who knows? And it may not be what you bargained for, to use an economic um, metaphor. Um, but why don't we go around the room and people say their names and their majors if they know them. And um, we will start. Well, everyone knows Onur, right? OK, now you do. Onur is a graduate student. We'll start with Kai and go around counterclockwise. Um, I'm Connie. I'm a freshman, and now I'm majoring in uh, music and econ. Music and econ, cool. I'm through. I'm majoring in English and economics. Really? Yeah. So this is like you'll you'll like, just know not? what's you'll know you'll know everything that's wrong about my ideas. <laughs> it won't be like I won't be able to say, oh, you think that because you're an econ major, but in English, or, oh well. Okay. <laughs> I'm Joe, I'm majoring in computer science and philosophy. I'm Ian, I'm majoring in econ and film. I'm Abigail, I'm majoring in English and anthropology. I'm Emma, I'm majoring in English. I'm Matt, I'm majoring in history and philosophy. Um, I'm Gabby, I'm majoring in communications and business. Okay. My name is Dario, I'm a second year, and I'm majoring in political science and business. Now, can I ask you something? Did you consciously say my name is after, after everyone else said I'm? Is it like the person who says present when everyone else says here when you do attendance? Or is it just your natural? I think it's my natural. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Okay, cool. How many, um, if you're here, say here. 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 Oh, so everyone said here. No one said present. Okay, good. Did you do that? Did you do that in, like, elementary school? Was there always the kid who said present? Yeah. Yeah, of course. All right. Hi, my name is Harper. Oh, you did a my name is too. Okay. Yeah. Is that natural to you? Or? It is. Okay. Um, I, I'm a junior. I just transferred here. My intended major would be business and econ. Okay. Where did you transfer from? Um, from China, actually. Okay, cool. Um, I've heard of that school. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, my name is Andrea, and um, I'm a business and English major. Okay, neat. Um, I'm Lin Fei, I'm a junior, and I'm a creative writing and psychology major. Okay, neat. All right, well, I have a handout. Um, <laughs> it's, you'll be getting two sheets. I'm going to keep one. Um, one is double-sided and um, tiny, and one is single-sided. And uh, grab from Google Books. So. Um, there's a draft syllabus which is going to turn into a real syllabus soon on Latte. I'm sure some of you have seen it. Um, so basically um, what we'll do in this class is if, if you need a 12-page paper um, for an English major, you can do it for this class, but you're not required to. Um, but what you, by um, 12 pages, by the way, I should be saying 3,000 words, not 12 pages. Um, some people do the page count and sneak in a whole lot more than 3,000 words. 
and some people do the page count and sneak in a whole lot less than 3,000 words. It's a little bit like inflation that way. Um, so it's, uh, you can but need not do a single 3,000 word um, paper for this class. The English major requires two of them to graduate. So if you do do that, this can be uh, one of the classes that you do it in. Um, you um, should write a total of 3,000 words over the course of the semester. Um, and um, you can do that in, basically don't write anything less than 500 words. So if you want to write a short paper, just see how things are going. And then a longer paper, that's fine. You can write two papers of the same size. Um, you can distribute the, that in any way you want. And um, the grades on those will be weighted by how long they are. So if you write a 1,000-word um, paper and a 2,000-word paper, the 2,000-word paper will be worth twice as much as the 1,000-word paper. Um, there'll be a midterm, which is really, uh, did you do the reading midterm? Um, so you should. Um, I sometimes call it a midterm quiz. So they actually count as much as midterms, um, but they are not um, like the whole class and lots of anxiety. If you keep up with the reading, you'll do fine. Um, and there will be a final during finals week. Um, class participation um, will, um, it's, I think it says 10% on the syllabus. The basic idea is class participation can always help. Um, if you don't participate, I'm not going to count it against you. Some people don't. Um, and um, uh, it's not something that you are forced to do. But it's always a good idea in almost any class you take to participate, because class participation always helps. It just makes um, the interpretation of what you say by your teacher more charitable, to use a, what's actually a technical term in philosophy, something called the principle of charity, which is that when you talk to people, does anyone, the philosophy majors, do you know what the principle of charity is, or the non-philosophy majors? So the, the principle of charity is um, that um, it's what Trump complains he's not being given by the news. The principle of charity is that when someone says something to you, don't um, interpret it as being the stupidest thing they could possibly be saying. Um, interpret it as um, the most reasonable or smartest or most on point thing that they can be saying. Um, if you don't do that with people, um, you'll just totally not be able to communicate with them. Um, but the more you, um, <coughs> when we instructors read papers, um, we tend to try to understand what students are saying. But if we have a sense of what they're saying from class, it's a whole lot easier to do. So it's just a natural psychological fact that if you participate um, in any class, um, you will probably um, be understood more in your papers than if you don't. Um, you'll be, your papers will be read more charitably. So this is basically, um, especially for first years or uh, transfers, this is um, a um, tip for doing well in your classes. Um, so <coughs> class participation, not necessary, but advisable. And um, the, it's also the case that improvement counts a lot. So if you get a B plus and an A on two 1,500 word papers, um, you, or if you get a B and an A on two 1,500 word papers, you'll probably get an A minus in the class, leaving aside 
the other stuff, but just imagine to, to simplify. Uh, B plus A on two 1,500-word papers means probably A in a class. A and then B um, probably means a B plus in the class. Um, so that's not quite right. Um, but at any rate, um, improvement is good, so never despair um, until the end of class, and then you can despair as much as you want. Um, but uh, Im improvement counts, class participation counts in a natural way um, but isn't something that I'm actually keeping track of. It's just something that happens. Um, so those are the basics. The papers will be um, about um, money and literature. Um, and I don't particularly want you to write one paper on money and one paper on literature. Um, I took a course when I was undergraduate uh, called Philosophy of Architecture, um, which is an interesting course. Um, but we had to write one paper on philosophy and one paper on a building. And um, we kind of combined them, but we kind of didn't. So um, here you don't have to write one, one pure econ paper and one pure literature paper. That would defeat the purposes of the course. Um, the idea would be to figure out ways. You can, you can focus more on one and the other if you want to, or you can focus on um, the same thing in both of them, but both of them should be about money and lit. So those are, those are the basic basics. Uh, questions, comments, fears, hopes, desires, horrors. Um, take your time, think about it. Too late. Okay. Yes, uh, uh, remind you, me your name. Uh, could you clarify what you meant by like the final? A final exam during finals, final exam period. So um, that would, I think it'll be a two hour exam. Um, you have three hours to do it. Um, they'll schedule it in the next week or two, I'm pretty sure, because they're harassing the faculty for whether we're giving finals or not. Yeah, um, sorry. Uh, my name is Nicole. Nicole? Yes. Yeah. What would the final look like? like um, it'll be on paper like this, yeah. if you want to know what it'll look like. Um, and you'll have these books that are called blue books but are rarely blue and you'll write in them. Um, it'll, it'll, um, some of it will be, it'll, basically what I tend to do in finals is a combination of short answers um, and essay questions. So the short answers are, did you do the reading? And the essay questions are, did you learn to bullshit? Which is a really important thing to learn in college. Um, like anyone who can't do decently on a humanities final in a class they haven't taken, um, needs to take more courses um, because, um, again, it's something we read charitably. What happens is people start writing essays on final exams and they get an idea and the idea turns out to have nothing to do with the question, but there's that idea and they don't have much time to write about it, so they follow it and then we who read it say, huh, okay, this has nothing to do with the question, but it's an idea and it was catalyzed by the question. So. Um, so um, these are fast essays. The good thing, I hope, what's best in a final, I mean, I hope some of you have had this experience, and I hope all of you will have this experience, um, is, that what can, is that when you write a paper, you get, um, some people get, get all anxious about it, and they think about every sentence, and um, they are anxious about whether the paper makes sense and whether it follows the stupid five-paragraph structure, which you shouldn't and in this class, and um, whether you're doing everything you're supposed to be doing. 
Um, in a final, because we know you're writing quickly and because we're not expecting a well-thought-out essay with an introduction, a body, and a conclusion, that should actually, and I hope some of you will feel that that's actually liberating. That is, that <coughs> as you're writing, you can get an idea. That's the best thing that'll happen, is that you'll have written 100 words of an essay question, and suddenly something that you never thought of before will strike you. And then you can just say that. Um, and go pursue that idea. So the best thing that can happen in a final is that you actually get ideas that will matter to you later, and that's what I'm hoping will happen. Um, but as I say, the final uh, should take about two hours, um, and you're just writing it um, in a so-called blue book. Other questions, anxieties? Um, Okay, let's take a look at um, some of the handouts. So the first thing to look at is this thing that, as I say, I grabbed from um, Google Books. Um, this is, do people know who Samuel Beckett is, Waiting for Godot? Um, Endgame, Happy Days, all those cheerful, um, all that cheerful playwriting he did. Um, he was also a novelist, um, and, and, and I think an even greater <coughs> novelist um, than playwright. Um, did you get, oh yeah, you did get this. So this is from a novel called Malloy, um, which was um, uh, a novel that he wrote in the late 40s, uh, early 50s actually. Um, and the narrator of the novel, of the first half of the novel, there are actually two narrators. Um, has anyone read it? Um, anyhow, it's very funny. It's uh, like the funniest thing ever. Do you guys know who, J who James Glick is? Um, he wrote a book, the most famous for a book on chaos theory, and he wrote a biography of um, Richard Feynman, um, and he wrote a book, I think his latest book is one called The Information. Um, he's a really, 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 well, so there's no point in this story, so I won't tell it. Nevertheless, once upon a time, there was a man named James Click. Um, he's a really, really, really good science writer. He was a couple years ahead of me in high school, and he had a yearbook quote from Samuel Beckett. So do you guys have, how many of you had yearbook quotes in your yearbooks? Yeah, so his yearbook quote was from Samuel Beckett. Um, and I was so stunned by how funny and great and beautiful and lyrical the quote was that when I was in 10th grade, I started reading Beckett. And um, this is like the random way, like doing finals, it's the random way that you get into what you get into. So I read this one yearbook quote and then I spent like a year reading Beckett obsessively. Um, and he's worth it. Um, so this is um, from the novel Malloy. Malloy is the narrator. Malloy is, if you know Waiting for Godot or Endgame, you know that Beckett's main characters tend to be totally messed up people, usually tramps, to some extent based on Charlie Chaplin, um, except um, without the optimism of any Charlie Chaplin um, character. Um, and nevertheless, what they really are is hilariously funny. And um, Beckett has, it, it's, it's laugh out loud misery is what reading Beckett is like. Um, and so Malloy is, is um, uh, describing his life um, and how he's coming apart. And at one, um, in one passage in Malloy, he describes um, going to see his mother. Um, and he himself was um, already extremely old, is already extremely old at the time, so his mother is that much older. 
Um, and um, so at the beginning of this, he says that he went to see her, and um, he would come to talk to her, but he could never understand what she said because she'd lost all her teeth, and he couldn't really make out what she was saying. But he says, in any case, I didn't come to listen to her. So that's the um, beginning of that passage. I got into communication with her by knocking on her skull. One knock meant yes, two, no, three, I don't know, four, money, five, goodbye. So those are the five um, codes that he has, um, the five things he can say to her. Um, yes, no, I don't know, money, goodbye. Um, which is the odd person out in that one? Money. Yeah. Um, what do you think money means there? Like if you say yes, no, and I don't know, and goodbye, it's kind of clear what they mean, right? If she um, asks him something and he does understand it, like, um, are you feeling miserable today? How many knocks on the skull is he going to give her? What do you think, given that this is a Becca character? One, yes. Are you feeling miserable today? Definitely. Um, do you love me? How many? You got it. Um, do you know what you're going to be do? Do you know um, how you're going to find some some food to eat tomorrow? Yeah, three of them, right? I don't know. Okay. Um, and then now sit and have a long talk with me because I'm your mother and you're my son, and this is a pleasure for me. Yeah. Goodbye. This is answered to that. Okay, so what does money mean? What do the four knocks mean? So here's a single sentence. It's a one-word sentence. Money. What do you think it's... Um, when would he do that? Yeah. yeah. When he needs money? Yes. He's not saying, oh, would you like some money, Mom? We can tell that, right? What he's saying is, money, I need it. Um, do you even money, Mom? Um, he really needs money. So money is, the, is a demand here, not an offer, but a demand. Um, so he, here he has a little code, and one of the um, crucial sentences is, Beckett is suggesting, in human life, um, because this is almost like a reduction of everything that human life comes to. Yes, no, I don't know, and goodbye. That's like a haiku for what human life is, isn't it? Um, you're born affirmatively, yes. Then the world tells you no, or you say no to the world. What does it all mean? Right? I don't know. What does it all mean? Um, and then goodbye, you die. So you're born, you die. Um, but the one crucial thing in that is money. You really need money. So, as um, Brecht and Weil say in the Three Penny Opera, money makes the world go round. Um, so it's a demand for money. It's a request for money. It's a need for money. Um, offers of money occur a lot less than um, appeals <coughs> for money. So I was hard put to ram this code into her ruined and frantic understanding. So she barely understands what he's saying. I was hard put to ram this code into her ruined and frantic understanding. 
but I did it in the end. That she should confuse yes, no, I don't know, and goodbye was all the same to me. I confused them myself. So those other, those four things, yes, no, I don't know, and goodbye, yeah, everyone confuses those things. It's no big deal. As like when you say yeah, no, right? So what does that mean? Yeah, no. What does the yes in that mean? Do you guys all say that? Are you puzzled by it? Not at all? How come? Just, it's a colloquialism that I'm familiar with, so I... Yeah, okay. But if you were to try to figure it out, you might, it, you might spend a minute on it. Like, why do you say the yeah part when what you mean is no? Um, why do you say no, yeah? But we do. Like, no, really. We do confuse yes and no in a kind of interesting way. It's not a real confusion. We know what we mean. But we don't quite know how we're meaning what we mean when we say yeah, no, or no, yeah. Um, what about yeah, yeah? Is that an affirmation? Look, I'm going to get my work done on time this semester, says your roommate, and you say, yeah, yeah. Are you agreeing with them? No, it's sarcastic. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so you can tell it's sarcastic even if it's written on the page. Um, okay, so confuse, yes, no, I don't know, and goodbye, that's fine. It was all the same to me. I confused them myself, but that she should associate the four knocks with anything but money was something to be avoided at all costs. So what's the one thing that really matters? Money. She really needs to know that the four knocks are money. Uh, what's funny about that sentence also, just about the metaphors in it, that she should um, um, associate the four knocks with anything but money with something to be avoided at all costs? There's a little joke in that sentence besides the funniness of it. Yeah, Ian. It's a pun. At all costs. At all costs, yeah. What does that mean, at all costs? I pay anything for <coughs> right? When you say you have to avoid this at all costs, what it means is however much you have to pay to avoid this, avoid it. Um, but what he wants is money, so what are the costs that he, he's willing to pay in order to make sure to get money? or everything else, love and um, hope and decency and humanity and whatever the cost in anything that seems worth it, he's willing to pay that cost. I mean, obviously, it's, it's a throwaway line, but it's a joke. He's making the joke intentionally with something to be avoided at all costs. Um, during the period of training, therefore, at the same time as I administered the four knocks on her skull, I stuck a banknote under her nose or in her mouth so that she would understand um, what it was that four knocks was meaning. Um, it was the taste of money or the smell of money. Um, that's how um, he would know. Um, I stuck a banknote under her nose or in her mouth in the innocence of my heart for she seemed to have lost, if not absolutely, all notion of mensuration, at least the faculty of counting beyond two. What does mensuration mean there? Anyone know? Yeah? Use of the mind? Um, no. It, it sounds like, mens, like, like a mens, which means mind. 
um, but it actually means measure. Um, so she was uh, she had lost all capacity, all notion of measuring anything. If not, she didn't lose all of it. She at least lost the faculty of counting beyond two. It was too far for her. Yes, the distance was too great from one to four. By the time she came to the fourth knock, she imagined she was only at the second, the first two having been erased from her memory as completely as if they had never been felt. But I don't quite, quite see how something never felt could be erased from the memory. Yet it is a common expression. Okay, we can stop there. Um, common experience. Um, we can stop there. But yeah, so what is she, if she's only um, hearing two knocks because she can't remember beyond two, um, what is he's saying money and what is she here what is she feeling what's being knocked into her no. no yeah so it's somehow money and the negative are brought together at this point anyhow this is typical of Malloy um, and I think it's really funny um, so what this course is about um, is the um, nature of money in the human imagination and what I mean by that is not what, um, you know, the human imagination is a great thing and um, we should think of all the things that, that um, humans can imagine in imagining God and love and paradise or maybe also in imagining hell or imagining world peace um, or imagining... Um, um, an end to hunger or human equality. All those noble aspects of the human imagination are great. Um, and they are great. Um, but what this course is more about is the really strange fact that almost all societies, all societies that have developed beyond um, a certain size, have invented money. And um, money is for us something which is, on the one hand, completely natural. Um, everyone knows what money is. It's one of the five basic. <coughs> you don't agree? Is that a no, proof? No, scratching my leg. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> um, so it's not like knocking on the skull. It's like, if I scratch my leg, I don't agree. Gotcha. Um, everyone knows what money is, and money feels totally natural to us. Um, I think it might be where, I'm not sure of this, but um, I invite you to consider it for yourselves, but it's where we first get the idea of, of beautiful objects. That is, that if you think of a painting as, I don't, I don't, I don't mean if you think of a person as beautiful. Um, we get that idea um, probably from our parents or um, um, those we love when we're very young. Um, but... How old are you when you first find an object beautiful? Not desirable. It's not like I really want to play with that Buzz Lightyear. Um, but when you find an object beautiful, um, how old do you guys think you were when you first found an object beautiful? Maybe you don't yet. But um, a sculpture, a piece of art, um, um, an iPhone um, doesn't have to be a work of art. Um, Can you remember, or can you associate it with an age? Not at all, Ian? No, I just, I can't associate it with any particular time. Okay, how about a piece of clothing? So can you associate that with it? What's your name? I'm Emma. Emma. I was six, and there was this dress that I saw. It was like in a music video, and 
it was like on TV and I just remember like this is the prettiest thing I've ever seen because like it twirled and I was like obsessed and went out the next day to buy a dress like that. That's great. And that was like the first, and I like the fact that you went out to buy it. Like, um, so you saw it, it was beautiful and it was worth money. Um, that's great. Um, anyone else remember? Or do you remember a time when you wouldn't think of your, if you were writing some fiction, um, where you would have a character, you'd be writing about a child and it would be too young to think of um, writing that child as someone who could see something as looking beautiful? I feel like it's really not before six, um, that six might be um, as young as you are before things start seeming beautiful for their own sake. Um, it's not like four-year-olds um, say, what a gorgeous flower. Um, their parents do. And I certainly remember being under six and being told to admire flowers and thinking that was stupid. Like, what's pretty about that? It's a flower. Um, but, you know, at some point they do start looking pretty. Um, and I think that that's a, that the question of what it means to find something beautiful is a question that philosophers have talked about for a long time. Um, and essentially it's something different from useful, that the beautiful is something different from the useful, um, that you can really want something and desire it, um, but generally you'll want and desire it because of what you can do with it. Um, and that might be true of <coughs> Buzz Lightyear when you're four years old, that what you can do with it is play with it. What you can do with it is pretend that it's a flying toy, even though, as we know, Buzz Lightyear is not a flying toy. Um, but um, there's, there comes to be a point where you're just glad that this thing is there because um, it looks good and um, where you might be glad to possess it not because you can play with it but because it looks good and I think that our really our first idea or very close to our first idea of something that is beautiful in itself um, is when people give us spending money when we're young, when our grandparents give us some coins, especially if they're bright and shiny. There's something about a bright and shiny new coin that someone gives you when you're six years old um, that you just look at it, right? Um, it looks so good. Um, and it's not that you can use it as a coin. Um, you know, you might be able to spin it you might be able to do tricks with it, or your cranky uncle might do interesting tricks with it and pull it out of your ear and stuff like that. Um, but the coin itself, that's something you can just gaze at. Did people, did any of you, I mean, I certainly did, so did any of you like gaze at money when um, someone gave you some when you were very young? I had like a quarter collection. Uh-huh, when did you start it? Like young. To uh -huh. the point where you think that it's like my parents' coin collection that uh -huh. like got foisted upon me or something, but like. But it's not. And then I remember getting to like ten years old and being like, "This is like, what fifty five dollars?" Yeah. <laughs> think of all the things I could do with it. Like a popsicle. Yeah, like a popsicle. Yeah. Did you get all fifty states? Yeah, I still have them. I didn't end up getting. See, there you go, because it's just too beautiful. You didn't, you didn't put it to use. Do you get the current quarters? Each year's four quarters or eight quarters or whatever it is, Harper's no. Ferry and no? I filled the board and then I stopped. That was it? Yeah. <laughs> okay, you had enough of beauty. Now yeah. it was popsicle time. <laughs> All right. That's good.
Um, but so, so one of the things, though, about money is that um, the strangeness of money, if you think about it, is that it, simul it means everything, or at least everything that can be bought and sold. Um, money can stand for anything at all. Um, but that's also partly because it means nothing. Because in itself, it is of no use whatever. Um, it is only um, something that you can trade for something useful. So there's a really interesting interface, you could say, between something that has actual value, like popsicles, um, and something that can be traded for something with, with actual value, but that really doesn't have actual value in itself. What's the actual value of a dime? If you don't have a screwdriver, or if you have to change batteries in something, you can use a dime to do it with. Um, but that's pretty much the only actual value that a dime has. Um, so the way um, economists talk about this, particularly Karl Marx, but um, no one um, disagrees with this, is that you can talk about two different kinds of value, use value and exchange value. And use value is stuff that you can use. Um, food has use value, iPhones have use value, um, clothing has use value. Um, anything that you consume has use value. Um, so the idea of consumption is um, the idea of use. And then there's exchange value, which lots of things have. That is, you might have um, too many apples, and your roommate might have too many oranges. So um, you can't put all your apples to use, um, because you get diarrhea if you did. Um, so instead, you use some of them for exchange. You trade some of your apples for your roommate's oranges. And so the apples have exchange value as well as use value. Money is something that only has exchange value. At least the purest form of money only has exchange value. Um, Marx didn't think that, by the way. He thought that money always had use value as well. Um, but that's because he thought that the um, perfect um, um, example of money was gold. And that gold um, could only become money because it could be used for other things like filling teeth and, and um, coating um, optic, optics on space shuttles and things like that. Um, however, um, money is something that famously you can't eat, you can't, won't keep you warm, won't keep you dry. Um, there's, no, there's really nothing that money can do except be exchanged for something that is useful. So why would anyone want money rather than something they could use? And yet, it seems like everyone is giving away useful stuff in order to get money for it. Um, everyone is selling stuff that's, that's useful in order to get money by selling what's useful. And so why do people want money if they can't use it? I think there's a simple answer, but... Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not asking a, a deep and, oh, my God, I never thought of this paradox question before. Why do people want money if they can't use it, if they can't consume it? Because it has exchange value. Yeah, exchange value for? 
everything else that you can use. Okay, so um, money does have exchange value. So the reason, yeah, I know, I, yeah, yeah, that's fine. So I will see you tomorrow. Yes. Um, so if you can, um, uh, if the reason people want money is that they can get other things that are useful with it. Um, so I can sell my apples, um, get some money, and um, then buy your oranges with that money. But if you think about it, that is only a kind of extension of the paradox, which is the reason money has exchange value, if you were to put this in as simple a form as possible, um, the reason money has exchange value is what? In a way, Connie, you just answered it. The reason money has exchange value, the reason people want money is why? We decide it has value collectively? Yeah. So money has exchange value because it has exchange value. That's the basic idea, that you want money because other people will take the money that you have. Um, and why will they do it? Because they want money for the same reason, because it has exchange value. So money is valuable because it's valuable. Um, and it's not, you know, everything else we can say why it's valuable. Anything else you can say it's valuable because it keeps you warm, even because it looks beautiful when you twirl, um, because um, it's striking, because it, um, um, it gives you food, because um, you can uh, drive 30 miles um, on this gallon of gasoline. So everything else has value because you can put it to use. Um, the only value money has is that you can buy stuff with it, but the only reason you can buy stuff with it is that other people want it, that other people value it. So they value it because other people value it. There's something really interesting about that fact, that money is only valued because it's valued. Um, you can't give any other reason for valuing money. Um, now, there you can. Th this gets a little bit complicated, as we'll see later on, um, by the fact. We'll talk about this later. But the fact that authorities value money—that is, that um, in societies, in institutions. The value of money is partly that those in power um, will demand money from you. And the only way you can pay them is with money. You can't pay your taxes with apples or oranges or with anything useful. Um, you can't go to the IRS um, if you owe them taxes and bring them a bushel of corn and say, this should count. Um, the only thing they'll take to pay taxes is money. Um, and that then means that money becomes partly um, a matter of political power. Um, back in the day, when um, gold was regarded as money, and I'm, I want us to look at a poem in a minute, but back in the day when gold was regarded as money, um, the 
um, idea was it was something that had use value, as I said before. Um, and therefore, um, what you were doing when you used gold was giving something that was mainly interesting because of its exchange value, but um, was something useful, was something that people could use. And therefore, you could always count Really, in any society, that's why one reason, one of several reasons, that gold tends to be valuable in most, although not all societies, historically, um, was that it was something that never spoiled, that could be used, that could be used in very, very many different ways, um, that was easily measured. There's lots of reasons that gold should be so often regarded as um, as worth money, and even more reasons that metal should be regarded. Some kind of metal, some kind of hard-to-get metal should be used as money. But as many of you probably know, in the early 19th century, there was an amazing innovation um, <coughs> in the use of money, an innovation that became completely um, a matter of law in the 20th century, at least um, among lots, um, lots of countries, and in particular in the United States under Richard Nixon. Um, do you guys know what it is? What happened in the early 19th century and became absolutely a matter of law in the 20th century? Do you know what it means, what the gold standard means? Anyone know that phrase? Is that one of those phrases that you've heard, but you're not quite sure? Is your hand up? Yeah, it's basically every dollar is worth a certain amount of gold, and they went off the gold standard. So now it's we're more subject to inflation. So. Yeah. Okay. So um, um, every dot. So it used to be the case, and there are people who want it to be the case again, like Rand Paul, that um, American money, for example used to say, used to be um, <coughs> demand notes. And what you would get um, if you got, um, do you have any old currency? No, just quarters. Do you have any silver quarters? I have been asked that question so many times. No. No, OK. <laughs> I, I have a couple. Um, my grandmother used to save all these quarters to do her, her laundry with in the basement of her building. And um, then she would always get more quarters, she, so she never used them. So when she died, I got all these silver quarters that she'd been hoarding for God knows how many decades. Um, so quarters used to be made of silver. And the idea was that a quarter was worth um, its weight in silver. Um, then with inflation, it turned out that quarters were worth a whole lot more than 25 cents each um, because they were made <laughs> of silver. And the silver was worth more than 25 cents each. Also, when I was a kid, there was a copper shortage. Um, pennies used to be made of copper, and you can still occasionally get a copper penny um, in change. Um, and uh, there was a copper shortage and therefore a penny shortage. And um, the record store, do you guys know what records are? Well, that's good. Have you guys seen the YouTube of 17-year-olds trying to make a phone call on a rotary phone? Um, <laughs> Can you do it? Do you know how to do it? Could you make a phone call on a rotary phone? So. Sorry? I think so. You think so. Okay. Have you, did you see the YouTube? Yeah. Did you, did you know what they were doing wrong? I mean, just like... 
sort of? Sort of. I was like, yeah, okay. it's, it's, something's not adding up. <laughs> yeah, well, clearly something wasn't adding up because they were unable to make a phone call. Um, but, uh, okay, so records used to be how we streamed music. Um, and uh, so there's a record store that was offering you, um, if you brought in pennies, because there were no pennies, so someone would buy something and they'd have to give them, you know, something would cost <coughs> um, six six ninety one, or six ninety four, and because they couldn't give them a penny, they'd have to give them a dime back instead of six cents, and so they were losing money. Um, so they were offering you two for one on pennies. That is, if you brought in uh, 50 pennies, they would give you a dollar's worth of credit. So all, all my school friends and I were just um, um, uh, couch diving, um, looking for pennies that the adults had dropped into the cushions. Um, and I got a couple of, I got a Procol Harum record that way. How cool is that? Oh, well. Um, <laughs> Somehow I didn't man I didn't imagine you go ooh ah we're not worthy. Um, okay, so it used to be that money was worth um, what it was made of, um, and that if you used paper money, which came in at the beginning of the nineteenth century, the paper money was actually like a check today. Do you guys know what checks are? Um, <laughs> you laugh, but but in twenty years no one will know what a check is. Um, they're like checks today. You could bring them to a Federal Reserve Bank and you could ask for the value in precious metal of what the note said. So what, what they were called, um, um, what they said on them was um, um, the Federal Reserve will pay on demand on the presentation of this note whatever the amount of money was, $5 in silver. So they were called silver certificates. And uh, a piece of paper money was a certificate entitling you to silver from the US government. And all you had to do was go to a bank, and you could get silver. Um, no one ever did, but you could. And occasionally, people would test it, and they would. Um, but it wasn't something you had to do. You just knew you could do it. Um, then under Richard Nixon, the U.S. just got rid of the will pay on demand and the money became pure paper. So at that point, that paper was not valuable in itself, but only valuable purely for its exchange value. And at that point, what you had was something that was valuable on paper. Um, and here we're very close to the realm of fiction. That is, that if you care what happens in a novel, I'll just uh, <coughs> end it today with this, but if you care about fictional characters, um, if you care what happens, it's not because they have any effect in the real world. Um, it's because you care about what's on paper. Um, now we care about what's on our screens, and we have Bitcoin, um, and, or, um, or Venmo, or whatever. Um, money as electronic um, ones and zeros. Um, so how these things go together, that's what this class is going to be about. Um, bring in the Xeroxes again tomorrow, and we'll look at some of the stuff that, uh, if we weren't so far behind, we would have gotten to today. What's a Xerox? Oh, stop. <laughs> the photocopies. <laughs> no? That the won't printer. <laughs>
Oh, I don't know, about $98 these days. The ink's more expensive. That's true. All right. And how'd you pay for it? Yeah. I didn't have like a debit card until I got to college. I didn't cash for it.